Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, January 9th. From COVID to the flu, RSV and the common cold, are there an unusually high number of people getting sick in Alberta? To talk about why we're so sick of getting sick, we made an appointment with Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. Today marks the 685th day in the war between Russia and Ukraine. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and expert in Eastern European affairs, joined the show this morning to talk about the latest in the conflict and the incredible human toll on both sides. And the Calgary Renovation Show is on this weekend with 200 exhibitors ready to help with our renovation wants and needs. To help get us in the mood to reno, we chatted with Calgary-based interior designer Hilary Rutherford for the latest trends and styles to watch for in 2024. Personally, I feel like I was sick for the last few months of 2023 and now kids going back to the classroom this week after the the winter break. We're being warned about a likely increase in cold and flu cases in the province. Joining us to talk about it is Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. Good morning, Dr. Bogosh. Thanks so much for joining the show again. My pleasure. Nice to chat. Uh, are more people getting sick than usual right now, and uh, barring, of course, the pandemic? Uh, probably not. I mean, if we look at some of the data that's released from uh, the Public Health Agency of Canada, we're, for example, influenza, the flu. We There's a lot of it around, but it's where we would expect it to be uh, in a regular season, even before the pandemic uh, began. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of COVID around, and we know there's more COVID in the winter time than there is in other times of year. And certainly, there's there's a lot of COVID around. So, I think lots of things can be true. Yes, there's a lot of people ill right now, and a lot of people, unfortunately and sadly, suffering from upper respiratory viral infections. But unfortunately, you know, I think this is what we can expect for this time of year if we don't take measures to further prevent the spread of these infections. It, do you think that it's a lack of, um, you know, getting um, the vaccines and and the, the the shots here, like the flu shot, for example? Is that what's driving the cold and flu cases in our province, in Alberta, particularly right now? Well, you know, I know in Alberta, some of the, depending on where you are in the province, the rates of vaccination, um, some places are a bit higher than others, some places are a bit lower than others, but in general... Um, I think there's room for improvement, not just in Alberta, but across the board. Vaccines, of course, help reduce the risk of infection, especially with flu. And they still can do it to some extent, just not to nearly the same extent as before with COVID-19. So, yes, vaccines can reduce infection. But the heavy lifting of the vaccines is really reducing more severe manifestations of the virus. So I think we have to look up front in terms of what's circulating and and, um and unfortunately, you know, the time of year, this is mm-hmm. this is where we see more of these viruses. Can yeah. you do things to prevent them? Yeah. I mean, I, I know no one wants to hear it, but, you know, putting on a mask in an indoor setting can reduce your risk of getting an infection. If you improve the ventilation in an indoor space, you can reduce the risk of more distant spread of these infections. If you stay at home when you're sick, you can, you know, reduce the spread in, in other settings. Vaccines, of course, can help but they don't do as much as people think they do in terms of reducing infection. They're still remarkable. They still reduce the risk of infection, but they really do the heavy lifting by preventing more severe manifestations of infection. Do you think that we learned that lesson about masks? I mean, you know, obviously we're not talking mandated masking, but do you think that we've learned that lesson that, hey, it's okay if you're not feeling well or you're going out and about or maybe you're flying because I see it a lot on airplanes, it's okay to throw the mask on? Yeah, I mean, some people have and others, others clearly haven't. And unfortunately... 
this was uh, politicized, this was polarized, you know, we got ideology that uh, blended in with, with science. And again, I don't think anyone should suggest that masks are perfect. Of course they're not. Mm-hmm. Of course they're not. And again, we, there's no mandate. The only mandates we have, at least in some parts of Canada, are uh, in uh, healthcare settings when you're dealing with direct contact with patients. But I mean, outside of those settings, there's few mandates uh, that I, I, there's no other mandates that I can think of. Uh, but again, I mean, it's a personal choice. And, you know, if you want to reduce your risk of illness, it's pretty simple. You know, people you know, sometimes say, oh, what are you talking about? Masks don't work. Or you see the opposite of the spectrum where people are making some claims where they do everything. Uh, and neither of those are true. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's just a form of reducing the risk of infection. It's just one tool that we have. You can use it if you like. You don't have to use it if you don't. Uh, texter Mark just asked, how effective is this flu vaccine? Did we get it right? Because we kind of base it on, you know, what's happening. We know, oh, we always hear this, what's happening in Australia. And then will that that strain of the flu come here? Did, did we seem to get it right? Hard to know. Uh, and unfortunately, it's too early to know if uh, what the match is this year. Usually we get that data in about a month or two. And because you'll never know, it's uh, ahead of time. It's always a good idea to get the flu shot. And, you know, you can look back every single year. We have the same studies come out where, yes, the flu shot will reduce the risk of flu. It just depends on how to what extent it will reduce the risk of you getting the flu. However, if you look at other data, like, you know, for example, who dies of the flu? Who's in hospital with the flu? And you look at uh, and you look at that data. It's it, it it's overwhelming people. Not not everyone, but more more often than not, it's people who are not vaccinated are going to get have the more severe manifestations versus people that are vaccinated. And we just had it in our eight o'clock news that you know there are hospitals where they're making extra room space because there are so many people having to go into the hospital right now. So does it feel like um, you know maybe the, this round of flu and colds are are uh, sticking around a little bit longer, even if they're not more um, more I don't know virulent, but are are they sticking around longer? Is that anything that's a possibility? First of all, I love the use of the word virulent. And thank you for bringing that up. It's a great word. Um, the other thing is, I, I don't know, but I, I got to say, I, I, I think we're going to have, we've been having this conversation every December and January for, for decades. And I think we're going to be having this conversation for decades in the future, every December and January. It always feels like a terrible year. It always feels <laughs> like a bad year because it is. Because it is. It absolutely is. It's miserable. People are sick. People are going to work sick. Kids are going to school sick, bringing it home to their parents. Like, it's it's just, it's it's respiratory virus season. We have tools to reduce the burden, not eliminate, but reduce the burden of these at the individual level and the community level. We can do it. It's a choice. Um, but um, but we're going to be facing this for, for decades ahead. No doubt. Uh, so we'll rhyme off some of the things that you talked about. Wearing a mask, if that's up your alley, it will certainly help. If you're sick, stay home. Keep the kids home from school if they're sick, right? Because they're the biggest germ petri dish ever in the schools. <laughs> yep, exactly. Improving indoor ventilation is also uh, is also helpful. And then I think people laughed at it during the pandemic, but it's true. Hand hygiene. Wash your hands. Mm. Wash your hands. Okay, Not everything's COVID. There's a lot of other viruses that are circulating and hand hygiene can certainly help. Love it. Thank you so much for breaking it down. Always appreciate your time. Have a great day. Be well, you too. Thanks, Dr. Isaac Bogosh, infectious diseases physician and scientist based out of the Toronto General Hospital. You heard him. Wash your hands.
And today marks the 685th day in the war between Russia and Ukraine. And according to UK intelligence, Russia on course to lose 500,000 soldiers this year alone. To get the latest and the cost on both sides is Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Good morning, sir. That is a massive loss of life. We're hearing 500,000 soldiers on the Russian side for this year alone. I would imagine it probably be somewhat close on the Ukrainian side. How long can this go on before? I mean, there just aren't even enough soldiers left. Well, that's the critical question, Sue. Uh, it's the people power equation that I believe is the most vulnerable for both the Russians and the Ukrainians. Uh, you know, we talk about money, ammunition, weapons. That's all part of that equation. But the people power, that, you know, they're getting, like, Ukrainians are getting their stuff a lot from the West, and they're trying to make some of them themselves. And the Russians make a lot themselves. They get some from Iran. They get some from North Korea. But people... Uh, they supply themselves. The Ukrainians have to supply their own people, and the Russians supply their own people. And there is a diminishing pool of resource of people available because, and, and this is, I think, uh, more severe. Even though the Russians have lost more, of course, there are more Russians, but there are limits to that. It's not sort of pure mathematics, you know. Uh, there, there is a growing feeling in Russia that, I mean, we can tell this by, by certain uh, good polls, that the people are getting tired of the war. They would like the war to end. They don't want to surrender. They don't want to pull back. But they would like to see the war brought to an end. That's a Russian view. That means Putin just can't keep putting more and more people. He's, I think, operating at a balance now. He's pulled up another 600,000 troops for the 2024. I think that's about it, unless things un unforeseen events happen. Now, on the Ukrainian side, they're, they're having a more difficult time. Um, Zhaluni, their chief of staff, said they, he needs basically another 500,000 Ukrainian soldiers to keep fighting in 2024, okay? Uh, and Zelensky is humming and hawing over that one. Um, they are talking about increasing stuff. They're, they, they see, the only draft people from 27 to 40, uh, roughly, and, and so that they're going to lower it to 25. But there's a whole range of, of, of people that are traditionally conscripted between 18 and 25 that the Ukrainians are not touching as of yet. There's a lot of political problems with that. And there's, a lot of, and there's no one volunteering in Ukraine for the army anymore, like they were, they were in 2022. The euphoria has gone away. The Ukraine is on the strategic defense. It, man, people power is a tough situation. And so I'm, it's a long way to tell you mm. how long will it last. Well, maybe by the end of 2024, there'll be exhaustion. I cannot predict it because I cannot predict the course of the war. But exhaustion will eventually, I think, drive this war to a conclusion when, the, when there is no more to be black and white, when there are no soldiers to pick up the weapons. Mm. Uh, so um, so many questions. That leads me to, do we have sort of a rough total? I mean, you never know propaganda-wise, but total number of soldiers lost on both sides? Uh, we don't have good figures. Uh, you quoted that 500,000 uh, from Western intelligence. The mm -hmm. Russians today said they've lost 200 and something thousand. So, so you know, there's, there's a, the Russians are saying they lost half of what the West is saying they lost. The numbers are, we can't, we don't know the numbers. We just can say that both Ukraine and Russia have lost hundreds of thousands of soldiers. We can say that. That's horrific. Um, let's talk about, and can you maybe explain a little bit to us, a decree signed by President Putin making it possible for Russian citizens to be conferred, or Russian citizenship to be conferred on Ukrainian children. Well, what, uh, can you break that down? Sure. This is all 
this is all part of uh, the war objective of Ukraine, of Russia, to uh, bring in these, particularly these four oblasts that they've taken uh, in this war. They've not not taken all of the, the oblasts, but they're taking part in the fighting is all in those oblasts. And the idea is to Russify those areas. They have formerly under Russian law been brought into the Russian Federation. So they, they are, from a Russian legal point of view, they are no longer regarded as Ukraine. They are now regarded as Russia. And so consequently, uh, Russia is uh, Russifying those people and granting them or uh, Russian citizenship. And, and uh, the children, it's particularly the orphans um, that they're dealing with here uh, who have been somehow separated from their parents either before the war or during the war. And basically they're under the care of the Russian state now. And so the Russian state, as part of that care system, is actually uh, giving them Russian citizenship. Yeah. It's a Russification is what's happening. Basically to bring more people in because they're just losing them in droves because of the war, correct? Well, I mean, these, these are children, but I mean, but, but, but uh, yes, I mean, there would be the older groups. Certainly, mm-hmm. certainly yes, the, 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 uh, the people of fighting age uh in in the in the eastern oblast would certainly be now eligible and they right. are being taken into the military yes so i mean you said it just a moment ago it's it's probably going to be you know exhaustion of able-bodied people to be fighting in this war is that when we see it end i mean we're we're mar- we're getting close to that two-year mark is there any sign that that it won't go on for another two years though uh well there's no there's no sign you see the question is as you just said it's when does this exhaustion take place? And we cannot predict it. We can speculate. We can say things like, well, they've probably got enough both sides in the system to keep going until the fall. That's a supposition, you know. But they're certainly fighting now. So if we look at what's going on today, today the Ukrainians are in a strategic defense all along the 1,000-kilometer front, and the Russians are conducting a limit, a tactical offensives all along the front. So you can say that... Tactically speaking, the Russians have the momentum now as we enter 2024. That's all we know. And now, so we know, well, we know, we speculate that the Russians will try to launch a larger offensive in the spring. But again, there's limitations because the Russian people are sensitive to casualties. They're not sort of oblivious to it. So, you know, Sue, I can't predict it for you. I can just say that it's a war of attrition, and my best postulation is that the war will come to an end, all wars end, that it will come to an end not because of political agreements, there is zero space between the Russian and the Ukrainian positions, but through exhaustion, when both sides feel they cannot confront each other militarily, and then they will agree to essentially a ceasefire, a frozen conflict. We saw that in Korea in 1953. That's, there is no peace between North and South Korea. There is only an armistice. Mm-hmm. And same with Israel and Syria in the Golan Heights, the same thing. No peace treaty but simply a ceasefire. Andrew, thanks, as always, for joining us. Appreciate your time this morning. You're very welcome, Sue. Thanks. Have a good day. You too. Andrew Rasoulis, fellow at the Canadian Global Affairs Institute and an expert in Eastern European affairs. And uh, maybe your home needs a design, a refresh. Joining us to talk about what's trending in home design for 2024 is interior designer Hillary Rutherford. Good morning, Hillary. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I love that you're here live in studio. You've brought, uh, we don't call them vision boards. What, is that what you call them? What do you call them? You know what? I would call these selection boards. Selection boards. Okay, yeah. perfect. So we'll talk about what you've brought in and what's hot for 2024 but speaking of it's going to be so cold it's the perfect weekend to go indoors and be in a warm space and really kind of find out what's cool and trending isn't it absolutely yeah uh calgary renovation show it's this weekend 
Tell us first off, when can we catch you? You'll be speaking on the main stage a couple of times. Yeah, so I'll be there speaking Saturday at 3 p.m. and then Sunday at noon. And we're going to talk about how to design your home with color. I love that. So I have an article here. Funny that, that you were coming in because I found this <laughs> online. But 2024, color of the year is an out-of-this-world hue of blue. Yes. Is blue the color for 2024? Blue is one of the colors for 2024. So those colors, I find, give us some type of idea, but there's always so many more that go with that. But I find what you can take from that, too, is the tone okay. of that blue. So we're going to see other colors in that tone as well, greens, reds, rust oranges but just within that same family i like it what was 23 what, what was the kind of the big theme for 2023 that we've we're st and how who decides we're stepping out of that and into something new well that's a great question i mean there are people that you know will do a lot of strategic analysis and look past i know that peach apparently is also really a color there that's coming in which you know i beg to differ <laughs> i don't want peach in my house you don't. didn't we do that once in those the 70s pink undertones with those mm. beigey like it's not working for yeah, most people. I would think so. I would agree with you on that one. Okay, so let's talk about what you see as, you know, some of the big trends for 2024. Yeah, so I would say, so we're seeing arches and curves still from a level of shape. And we're getting that because it's quite organic. If you look outside, you see a lot of things are quite rounded, so it makes us feel really calm. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're also seeing from a level of style, we're mixing styles. So it's not just all one, but we're also going to see a lot of contemporary mixed with vintage. So okay. thrifting going out finding things that are pre-loved um, really kicks up your space to a whole different level because you're finding pieces that are so unique and no one else is really going to have that. So we're seeing that a lot from level of style. Isn't that something that I think is, you know, it's important not to, I mean, sure, you like to know what's kind of trendy and what's coming and what's hot so that you you know if you're, if you're going to do a restyle at home. But isn't it really, doesn't it come from your heart as to what makes you happy in your space? It does. Like trends are great to experiment with if they speak to you. Yeah. So the ethos of my business, Hillary Rutherford Interiors, is that it's all about authenticity to the person. So we go deep and we find out who you are on an emotional level. So we ask a lot of questions to get to the goods of who you are because then we lean into color psychology to pair with, you know, the answers you've provided us. Yeah, I love that. Because, I mean, you can have someone like yourself come in and, and decorate your home, but if you don't love living in that space, then what's the point, right? So, it, so is that key with a designer is really that working together thing? 100%. It's about the client and it's about us extracting the right information in order to provide them things that they're going to feel good with. And also you evolve as a person and your home needs to mm -hmm. follow suit. So it's always a bit of a work in progress. Um, when, you, when someone comes in and is looking for you know you and your team to kind of help out it, it, do you have that conversation because if someone's like well I am all about you know concrete and white leather then that's all I want then you might not be a fit so you, do you have that conversation when someone's looking for help I do yeah and we have a process so things there's a certain order in which we extract the information first and then we get into that stuff perfect right but it's good to know what people are naturally attracted to sure okay so tell us you've got brought these boards in yes. tell us what what we should expect to see and hear from you at the show and maybe we need to know as we're looking at around at our own house thinking I need, I need a refresh here. Totally. So I have two boards here. Now one of them is based on the trends because I want to show people hey this is what you know is trending.
trending right now and if this speaks to you this is where you can experiment so this is a more of a moody palette so this is there we're talking muddier tones so we have this orange this navy this green and then we're also seeing pattern but it's fairly organic and it's rich more so so we're moving into darker browns as well okay so that's what we're gonna my see my teens will voice. be happy to hear that okay they're all about brown okay well because they're in the know right yeah better than we are totally yeah. right yeah. so you know the younger generations you know they're with it so so that's the one palette and then the next palette is a little bit more um, bright and colorful and playful. And that's what you're gonna see for my design at the main stage. So actually speaking of vintage, I bought a 1970s orange velvet circular sofa. Cool. Yes, and that was that kicked off the inspiration for the whole stage design. So that's a fabric I have, and then I'm pairing it with similar, it's kind of jewel tone colors. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, so that's gonna be playful. It's I'm doing a disco chic living lounge Oh, that's vibe. fun, I love it. So yeah, I wanted it to be fun and playful and maybe that's not so much trend. Well, you know what? It does follow in the trend. But for me, that is timeless forever because it speaks to me. Yeah. And maybe it's not your living room space, but maybe it's your she shed or your, you know, your basement or your whatever, or your TV room kind of thing. Because you can play with that, right? It doesn't Most have to be certainly. everything front and center. Absolutely. Uh, so what do you do? So I'm, I'm thinking maybe I need to do a little work in my house. Where, what's the first step? Where do I start? So, okay. So this is a really good tip. I spoke about this yesterday too. So go to your closet. You're going to assess all the pieces of clothing that you have collected okay. over the years. And that is going to give you a really good idea of what your color palette is going to be. Really? And if you need, so you want to start with an inspiration piece. So pick your favorite piece. What is something that never fails you? So that start there. You can pick colors out of that or textures. So I would do that. In our process, we just have a questionnaire where we go through. Another question I ask clients is, what's your favorite place to vacation to? Mm -hmm. And do you have a favorite hotel? And what's your favorite restaurant? Because right away, that gives me an indication of where they feel the most Are you super modern? Calm. Are you- what, 100%. Yeah. And where you feel the most chilled out. Like right. how you want to feel is really the most important question. I love that. You know, my sister, is is not an interior designer, but kind of loves that, right? So she would be right into you what you're talking about. You got it, you got it. Yeah, and I think you do or you don't. Totally. And I do not. So I had my sister come and help <laughs> That's me. That's why we have a job. Right, <laughs> exactly, because you're so good at what you do and you can help us, you know, figure out what's kind of going on in our own heads that we can't put into words. Totally. And I love blue. I love water. I find it very relaxing. So, you know, I went for a, a dark navy couch and I've got, you know, a piece of blue artwork and it makes me feel so relaxed every time I walk in. And I think that's the thing is we need somebody like you who can help us translate how we feel when we don't even really know how we feel. A hundred percent. And the interesting thing about color too is blue to you may feel that way. And inherently it does have those characteristics, but based on other people's past life experiences, like it her. could feel different. Yeah. So that's kind of the interesting part about color psychology as well. You talked also about mixing and matching. So is it okay to mix, say, like I know brass became very popular if we still have, you know, a chrome or stainless steel. Can those things mix together okay? Absolutely they can. So that will give you dimension in the space and there is a way a proper kind of way to layer, layer it um, what I would say if you're gonna do that is if you're gonna do a, a brushed brass do then a brushed nickel okay so same finish you got it yeah makes sense yeah so many great tips and really we need to come down and see at the Calgary renovation show this weekend it's such a great place that honestly to get all the ideas and the inspiration that you need and maybe it's that little kickstart to get that work done in your house right? absolutely okay so when will we see you on the main stage tell us again yeah so we are Saturday so I'll be there Saturday speaking at 3 p.m. and then Sunday at noon. Okay, calgaryrenovationshow.com and hillaryrutherford.com. Hillary Rutherford Interiors is your business. You got it. Thank you so much for coming in and sharing uh, what's hot in 2024. Thank you for having me.